Night falls on the golden age of humanity. Sons shall turn upon their father, and his worlds drown in blood. The eye shall open, and the galaxy will burn. Join us, listeners. We go into the canon lore of the Forge World Black Books on Heresy Grad School. Professors Jason, Patrick, and Dave, myself, will dive into the lore of the Black Books and the Black Library novels that we know and love and explore the heresy as history. So get a coffee, get your notebook out, and uh, prepare to explore heresy as history with us on Heresy Grad School. Austin, are you good? I mean, Steven's on his way up right now, but are you good with kind of like the layout for tonight, where we're going and all that? Uh, sort of oh, I just know we're talking Navy. Navy. Yeah, man. Navy in space. All right. All right good. Test. Good. Can we? Um, like, I, I honestly thought for some reason that this was going down Sunday. <laughs> so, like, while I have, I have read through the uh, applicable chapters... I haven't done like deep insights on like each specific subsection. Well, that's I okay. Have. That's but, okay uh, because even has. I have, I have done yeah. so much thought on all of this sort of stuff, like outside of prep for this, that I don't think it'll matter a whole hell of a lot. And I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. Uh, Jason has a near encyclopedic knowledge of this whole entire section, and his notes are quite extensive. So, I mean, that, uh, feel free to feel free to use him slightly as a crutch. But I mean, again, we're we're talking navy. This is stuff you you bleed, you know. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And- don't don't tell my dad. He's an Air Force vet. All right, so how do we sound good? Does it sound you good? You do. You sound great, Stephen. Are you sure you're not? Are you actually in like the dead space? Um, no, I found. Uh, I mean, I am. Yes. Second. Um, but I found. I, I changed hotels, and this one has a restaurant downstairs. So I am staying in like a little room above a restaurant. Okay. It's like an old timey lodge. All right. Are you cool. paying? Are you paying by the hour? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not paying the hotel by the hour. Okay, oh. that's whoever's room you're staying in. It's cool, man. Like, just yeah, we're good. No, baby, it's fine. I'm just gonna do a nerd thing. No, we're not. We're, back yeah. No. <laughs> and so, if you're guy, if you guys are ready, Dave, Jason, Stephen, Austin, everybody, good. Everybody taking a potty break. Everybody, I'm ready. My body is uh, ready. My ready my drink is charged, and my mind is ready to delve into the dark spaces of time. Yep. Beware, right. for there are monsters between the stars. Jason, Dave, good. you guys good? All fired. Alrighty. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to another mini-sode of the Remembrancers Retreat. Uh, here with your your main professors, uh, Pat, Jason, and Dave. And we've got some guest lectures today for you, some real treats. We've got uh, Stephen and Austin from uh, the main Remembrancers Retreat podcast going to talk some Navy, talk about some some ships. Hello. Hey. 
Yeah. So, so I'd like to just kind of start this episode off by saying um, we've, we're three episodes into the Coronet Deeps right now, um, but we're going to circle back and um, we're going to go over some territory that we covered before in the last three episodes of Heresy Grad School, but we're going to cover it from a completely different angle. And so we've brought on Stephen and Austin, our guest lecturers, um, to to go over sort of the Coronid Deeps, which are covered in Book Four, um, Forge World's Book Four, and we're going to look at it from a completely different angle. We're going to look at it from Void Warfare and um, just Battlefleet Gothic and Battlefleet Heresy rules. So, with that said, um, I think we're, the way we're going to lay this out for those of you who haven't been with us for the last three episodes, no worries, um, because Jason's going to kind of take us uh, back and, and sum everything up and then we'll get into the the grit and the lore uh, with, uh, with Stephen and Austin. So, but for reference, I want to go back to book three. Um, Forge World's book three is amazing because it, 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 for the first time, lays out the different classes of battleships um, that are in the heresy. And they're vastly different from the classes of of ships battleships that you may know in battlefleet gothic so 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 look into that and uh i don't know steven austin do you guys have anything to say about book three before we get into book four you guys have anything to say about that one page in book three that sort of just like fucking blows this whole thing open um it bears noting that a lot of the uh with with everything that is in the black books, there's always callbacks to super obscure stuff way back, way back in the day uh, from Games Workshop. So some of the ships that are listed in in this Ships of the Great Crusade uh, splash that Dave's referring to uh, actually probably haven't been talked about or even thought about since rogue trader days, maybe even before that, maybe back uh, Space Crusade. Uh, one of the ships listed under battleships is actually a direct reference to a Space Crusade uh, ship. Fun yeah, um, there was actually, so before Battlefleet Gothic came out, uh, back in the Halcyon days of 1991, uh, when the Cold War was just over and, you know, everyone was happy with life, uh, there was a game called Space Fleet, uh, with ships that look nothing like the the ships we know of today. Um, and some of those are like, like I think there's like a Citadel uh, gets mentioned in Book Three. That's mm-hmm. not a thing from Battlefleet Gothic or anywhere else. But in Space Fleet, it was a ship. Uh, so it's just sort yeah. of cool for me that it does have callbacks to like stuff that was around before probably a good percentage of heresy players were like capable of playing 40 K let alone actually got into the game. Yep. Just like, um, the, uh, the abyss class also comes from space fleet. The, uh, the whole trident shape that the mm-hmm. furious abyss and its sisters are said to have actually is a direct description of the battleship from space fleet. Yep. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, so all that being said, um, it's important to note that some of the stuff that we're going to be getting into here with some of these classes of ships 
uh, required a whole bunch of like clue gathering and and not insignificant amount of conjecture. So, a little asterisk next to everything we're going to say. A lot of this is theory. Yeah, we'll we'll try to uh, differentiate between things that we can absolutely say yes and no to, uh, the things that we can say you know we have good evidence for. And the things that just because we've been spending way too much of our lives for way too long looking into this, we think are true. Yeah, Be we're starting to see like the, the mathematical <laughs> formula of creation. That's how deeply we've been looking into this. Be the Smotherman formula lives within us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and because we're like a good academic podcast, right, we will reference everything. Because... <laughs> You know, that's what we want you guys to go away with, right? Yeah, you, we want you to be just as yeah. inundated with this as we are, because the best thing to throw to a drowning man is another man for him to grab onto. <laughs> All right. And real quick to the listeners, if you guys, I know you're going to have questions, but if you do have questions at the after you listen to this episode, feel free to, you know, like I say at the end of every episode, and hell, in the beginning, just feel free to message the Remembrancers Retreat, and we'll get those those questions answered. Ask it on Twitter, because that'll confuse Jesse. <laughs> please, please ask it on Twitter. Perfect. God, Perfect. Alright, so let's, let's dive into this. Alright, so for our listeners that have been following along with us from the beginning of the coordinate deeps, the first ship, uh, the first, you know, spaceship, the starship that we encounter is the Malin Dawn. And it's described as a gladiator class frigate from the third legion, the Emperor's Children. And Jason, could you could you just take us back in time um, for those of us who haven't uh, maybe been following along and for those of us who have, could you just take us back and give us a brief history lesson on the Malin's Dawn? Oh, of course. So the Malin Dawn, like you mentioned, was a third legion frigate. So not even that big of a ship so far as things go. It's not like one of the massive seven or eight kilometer cathedrals in space uh, that would be several of the other types of battleships. So this is actually a pretty little dude. Um, it's the first ship to show up in the, the uh, Coronid Deeps, uh, way out in the corners, uh, where stuff, uh, outposts and whatnot, are slowly starting to go dark. And when it shows up, it's first responded to by a detachment of Solar Auxilia who land on it and, like, uh, suited up in full void hardware. And all they find are dozens dozens of dead 3rd and 12th legionnaires. And uh, through investigation they figure out that this ship just managed to make it from the Istvan atrocity to jump into the warp right after they were boarded. And apparently the legionaries slaughtered each other in route and the astropath of the ship managed to stay alive just long enough to uh, vomit itself back out into the warp into what they thought was friendly space. That's 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 such a badass uh, fucking intro to to where we are. But let me um, let me go out to Stephen and Austin. So Stephen, Austin, any clues? We'll start with Stephen first. Any clues onto what a gladiator class could possibly be? Because I don't think we've encountered this before. We don't have defined uh, rules for a gladiator class frigate. 
Um, the closest thing that we can equate the Gladiator to, or at least the Malin Dawn, is uh, the existing Gladius Space Marine Escort, uh, which is essentially a heavily armored and, relatively speaking, heavily uh, armed uh, frigate, comparable to probably a sword class, um, just a little bit faster and a little bit, you know, beefier. It's a Space Marine vessel, so it's it's better. Um, beyond that, there's not a whole lot of reference. There's not not a whole lot of information given on the Malin Dawn itself, other than what you find inside, which is bunches and bunches of dead space marines. So, so Austin, let me go out to you on this, and, and let me throw because I've thought about this a lot, and, and it's a gladius, and and so to me, a gladius is uh, or, or a gladiator. I'm sorry. So so. It's a brawler, right? Like, there's a lot of space marines on this. It's a frigate. It's an escort. It's small. You don't put a lot of space marines on a small frigate. At least not no. in 40, 40k. You don't. No. So uh, is this a is this a boarding ship? Uh, no. So there's we we should differentiate here. In in 40k, a frigate is probably going to have ten, oh, like a squad of marines on it, right? That's like the max you'll see. Uh, in 30k, though. We have good numbers. Uh, if you remember the Eisenstein, which is a frigate, uh, has what probably 75, 100 Marines on it uh, at Istvan 3 because it's got Garrow's guys, and we know that about 50 of them survive, uh, plus Grulgor's mob, uh, which I think was 30 or 40. So you can have a good amount of Marines on these sort of ships. Um, however, speaking, and now I'm going to kind of step away from the fiction a little bit because we know that gw likes to play games with real life stuff right like we know like the council of nikea is the council of nikea right from historical historical council of nikea right the um, christian yeah council yeah. that establishes so like there is such a thing as a gladiator class frigate um it is a older an older ship in the actual Navy, the, the Mexican Navy operates a couple nowadays, uh, which should give you a fair indication of what it's worth. Um, Rude. We apologize to the nation of Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Name me one time the Mexican Navy did anything of note, and I too will apologize. I didn't even know the Mexican government had a Navy, so <laughs> there you there go. There we go. Um, and it's actually... Uh, an anti-aircraft sort of missile missile frigate. Um, now, we should note here that in modern parlance, a frigate is the smallest thing sailing uh, that's still considered like a Navy combat vessel, uh, whereas in 30K and 40K, uh, that would be like the destroyers are the smallest ships. Um, so it's not like a, a port. Uh, so this might be something like a fleet defense frigate. Uh, that would have been prevalent. And, you know, it really would fill a need uh, in the Space Marine Legion fleets. Uh, because at this point in history, unlike their 40K uh, descendants, they're fully functioning like fleets of the line meant to go toe-to-toe -to -toe against other fleets. Uh, and they're missing a couple of specialized ships like, you know, something's designed to go after 
uh, attack craft squadrons, things like that. And well, it bears noting as well on that that the Gladius ship that I referenced to it earlier is um, it's a it's a gunboat. It's wep- it's armed with like macro cannon batteries and big ass <laughs> lasers and rocket batteries. So it's Austin's uh, assertion there is probably pretty close to the truth that a gladiator can probably be roughly equated to a uh, a smaller support vessel. Yeah, it it's definitely it's definitely interesting that they would pick that name. Although again, this could just be you know me reading too far into GW's like of playing mind games uh, because it's not like gladiator is an uncommon name. But, you know, when I was sort of toying around in the build-up to this episode, did a little looking and uh, found it. Good old the Mexican Navy. But even stuff like the Fury, which is the standard interceptor for the Imperial Navy, uh, that was an actual U.S. aircraft carrier fighter that was briefly in service in, like, the 60s or something. Uh, so, you know. Another well, possibility I- as well. Um, when I was reading up, leading up to this episode, like Austin, uh, I was going through the Armada rulebook, the Armada publication, which has the original Space Marine rules in it for Battlefleet Gothic. And I discovered something interesting, and that's that a lot of the existing uh, Space Marine escorts, which would otherwise be constituted as frigates, seem to... There's, there's some inconsistency in the, the publication of their history. And this may be, you know, just a simple fact that Armada was published way before any heresy publications were were done. So, you know, grain of salt. Um, but the the Hunter, the Nova, and the Gladius, the general generally accepted Space Marine escorts, uh, a lot of their publication history seems to suggest that they are relatively new additions to the Space Marine fleets. Uh, the Hunter, in particular was said to have been pioneered by the Dark Angels because they distrusted other um, Imperial fleet assets to do their work for them. So they needed a torpedo boat. Um, So a possible explanation is is that the Gladiator is a predecessor to the Gladius, with most of the Space Marine fleets being refitted and repurposed uh, in accordance with the Codex Astartes, which you know says that space marines can't have their own fleets. The only fleets they can have, their primary function has to be transport from world to world. Most of the actual void fighting will be handled by the Navy. So it could be that the Gladius was a ship that did stuff after the heresy, and the space marine fleet assets got gutted. They said, okay, it's the Gladi. It's, uh, it's the Gladius now. Well, I think we've we've thrown out a lot of theories. Uh, I think it's good. I think the listeners have some stuff to chew on. Um, but I'd like to get back to the corner of deeps and 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 so the next part of the corner of deeps um, that kind of throw us a uh, a curveball here is um, four havoc class heavy destroyers come out of. Um, they're part of the five oh seventh attack squadron, Imperialis Armada. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later too. But does does anybody want to jump on Havoc class destroyers? Um, again, this is the first time that Havocs have been mentioned in any Black Library, Black Library publication that I was able to find. Um, and there's a there's a couple of possibilities here. Um, 
the immediate answer, to me at least, is that the Havoc is a variation of the Imperial Navy Cobra. And the reason I point to the Imperial Navy, quote unquote, obviously there's still the Armada at this point, um, is because generally the Space Marines, or not, uh, sorry, the, uh, the Armada kind of holds that naming scheme of 40, what'd you say, 407th Attack Squadron. Whereas with Space Marines, 507, there you go. Or Space Marines, you get like more ostentatious names, uh, Halbert Squadron, Daughters of Chemos, you know, so on and so forth. Whereas the Armada tends to be pretty. Here's your serial number. Here's your purpose. Go shoot torpedoes at stuff. Go on now, get. Um, so the Cobra, I think, is probably the basis for the Havoc. Maybe the Havoc's a little more heavily armed because I believe they are referred to as heavy destroyers. Okay. Uh, and the Cobra is primarily armed with torpedoes. And there's some precedence for Cobras being refitted and given a different classification name. Uh, if you look further into the 41st millennium, you see the Viper, uh, which was a boarding torpedo variant of the Cobra. It's not a particularly so, successful design. So we should we should probably tell listeners, right, like at this point, like Stephen, you and Austin have have literally designed rules you've kind of gone back and looked at Battlefleet Gothic and, and retrofitted that rule set to the heresy using lore from the Black Library and the world. So so if you were if you were gonna put these Havoc class destroyers, if you were gonna give them rules, you would you would give them the Cobra rules that are in BF2. Uh, well no so so here's the thing. Uh, being heavy just as a a designator uh, normally means one of two things in Battlefleet Gothic. Either you have more shooty than normal, uh, or you have more hull than normal, or more ability to take damage than normal, I should say. Uh, but you're also slower than uh, your target, you know, whatever you're based off of. Right, is, like the heavy transports, right? Yeah, as like, or um, yeah. uh, the apostate heavy frigate. Sure. Uh, sure. Which is massively overgunned for its size but still only has one hull point but has two shields uh so if i was doing something like this i would maybe this might be a you could either say hey it has three torpedoes uh and two shields and goes maybe 25 centimeters to the cobra's 30 uh or possibly it has a little bit more of a punch uh like maybe two weapons battery two missile two torpedoes um and honestly, yeah. that's probably more what I think of when I think of Havoc class destroyers. Uh, just because anytime somebody tries to stick more guns on an Imperial escort that shoots torpedoes, uh, they invariably don't like it as much as a Cobra. Um, which is sort of funny because in game, you also don't want a lot of guns on something that's primarily shooting torpedoes. Because you want to re reload ordnance, you don't want to be locking on or anything like that. Uh, so my guess is it's probably something with maybe twice the firepower of a Cobra in guns, a couple of torpedoes, and slower. I like it, yeah. Stephen. Can you make that? Um, really, the uh, the apostate is what I would point to if we weren't already using it as a as a basis for the Thunderbolt. Um, <laughs> generally, the the described attack patterns of the Havoc kind of 
have them as they make attack runs. They don't come up and they they don't fight uh, on the line like other bigger ships do. And they're, this might be simply a because they're escorts. You know, they're smaller ships. Right. I would agree with you. So so, so you read this right. Like nobody's arguing that this is not an escort ship. Right. Okay. Um, so, generally speaking, uh, like I said, I think either the apostate or maybe, and this is a real big maybe because this particular ship class is generally noted for being light, although more heavily armed than the Cobra, um, would be the, uh, the Idolater Chaos Raider, uh, which is a gunship with torpedoes. Uh, it's a lot faster, but it is more heavily armed than the Cobra. I was going to ask what your feeling was on the, uh, is it the Iconoclast Destroyer? The, the Iconoclast Destroyer is uh, as a gunboat. So it mount, it's kind of like the, the aforementioned Gladius, is that it just mounts lots and lots and lots of batteries. Whereas we know for sure that the Havoc its primary function seems to be torpedo runs. How do we know that, Stephen? Uh, based on the fact that that's really the only weapon it's depicted using. And generally speaking, when it comes to an escort class that is armed with ordnance, in this case torpedoes, in the context of Battlefleet Gothic, that's what you want to use it for. They want to keep either getting in on a ship's flanks or on its rear and just unloading torpedoes constantly. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, because really the weapons batteries are a hindrance to it. Uh, you might accidentally blow up your own ordnance with blast markers. Yeah, I was just going to say for that was like sort of a leading question. Like for our listeners, like if you have been with us for the last three episodes, or if you've not been, not you know, the uh, those Havoc class destroyers uh, from the five hundred seventh might just blow the shit out of some Imperial defenses. I don't know. I, my, and Austin will have to. Uh, yeah. Austin will have to confirm this for me. But as far as my knowledge goes, uh, modern ships that are given the designation destroyer seem to mostly operate in the confines of missiles, rockets, torpedoes. Yeah, mm -hmm. so. yeah. It it's hard because BFG seems to be taking all of its like nomenclature and tactics from like World War One, World War Two era ships. Mm -hmm. um, but modern destroyers are very much not. World War One, World War Two destroyers. So it, yeah. it's in hard general, to like make those those. In general, uh, naval nomenclature for the Imperium seems to be pretty fluid. Like Austin said earlier, the designation heavy could mean you have more armor, could mean you have more guns, could mean both. But there's really no um, there's no hard and fast rule for right. Right, like Battlefleet like, Gothic, right. Between the yeah. between the Chaos fleets and then the Imperial fleets, and we're talking in in-game terms now. Uh, battle cruiser seems to be largely synonymous with heavy cruiser, even though those are nominally two different types of vessels. Well, that's a great segue, Stephen. So before we like sort of continue to confabulate on, I don't even know what that word means, but like, did you just? Make it that sounded word good up? though. We it did. It sounded like a really big word that professors would use, and so. Right. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. I want to. Uh, I want to go um, to one of my absolute favorite ships from the whole Coronet Deeps, and I think you guys will agree with me on this. And I want to give Jason a chance to kind of give us the background on this, but it's it's the Icon, 
Um, the icon is described as an eclipse class battle cruiser. Before, before Stephen and Austin get into sort of dissecting what this means, and I know they are super passionate about this, um, I want to go out to Jason. And Jason, give us give us just sort of the best synopsis of the icon um, in the corner of the deeps. So the icon is a pretty important ship. It's there from like the very opening days of the entire conflict. And it's reported as popping up in a ton of different places. And uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty vicious every time it pops up. The first time we see it appear is when it comes in with these four Havoc-class heavy destroyers. And uh, they, between the two of them, they annihilate these two massive uh, system ships. Uh, let's see, it's going to be the Brazen Bull and... There's one more. I'll find it later. But it's there. Uh, ah, the Gaius Harab and the Brazen Bull. That's what I wanted to find. So, two massive, heavily armored uh, system vessels... Uh, that are supposed to coordinate, you know, with orbital defense platforms, and these four havoc and the icon just plow through them like they're barely there. And this is to uh, get through the initial system, uh, Gethsemane, which is on the very outermost fringes. Uh, Gethsemane Colonus is the planet the icon delivers its first message to, and it says that this is a um, a message which variation in word but not intent would be repeated shortly across the Cyclops cluster and in a hundred star systems in the years to come. Uh, bow before him who is the war master, abase yourselves before his truth. Serve those who serve him and hearken only to their words. The Imperium is his, mankind is his, you are his. Submit to the war master or die by his hand. There is no other choice and you will be given the chance to kneel but once. Horus is Lord, and Horus is Death. So, the icon broadcasts that to every planet it runs across as they're rolling back through in dark compliance. And uh, it's, it's almost a character in and of itself. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, I think the icon is a plotline. They were looking at the deeps because um, it keeps coming up and it acts, it, it acts in actually very unpredictable ways. Um, so when we first see the icon, it, it just, it just rains utter devastation on, on, the, on that planet, takes it out. And then we next see it, it's sort of all about sort of, um, you know, delivering that message of terror right and dark compliance but um and we'll see it again but i don't want to get ahead of ourselves right so so we're uh we're still kind of only halfway through the deeps and and the icon shadowing here right the icon will definitely come back but uh no thank you jason that was that was just fucking awesome man uh synopsis of of uh where we are right now so i'll go out to steven first because i know you have some some thoughts on on this eclipse class vessel so off the bat the term battlecruiser is kind of 
one of those terms that Games Workshop just throws around whenever it wants to denote that a ship is cool. It's a battle cruiser. Um, in the Night Lords trilogy, a strike cruiser has been referred to as a battle cruiser before. So it's just kind of a, a weird term. Um, historically, a battle cruiser was a type of ship that could go as fast as a cruiser, but was as heavily armed as a battleship. So kind of that pocket space that, within the context of uh, Battlefleet Gothic, is actually filled by the uh, Grand Cruiser, even though Grand Cruisers are actually pretty slow, but semantics. So the Icon seems to be a bombardment ship. That seems to be how its tactics best suit it, um, especially when paired with the attack squadron of Havocs, which kind of make repeated strafing runs with torpedoes, soften up a target, and then the Icon rolls up on it and gives it a broadside and turns it into so much space dust. Yeah, no, I, 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 I love it, man. So you're looking at the Icon. You had to go with like from BFG, rules as written? Um, the ship that I would most closely compare it to would be the Imperial Overlord class. Okay. Uh, the Overlord, within the context of the game, is kind of that, that same purpose. It hangs back and it bombards targets with these really long-range weapons batteries, and occasionally it'll plink off hits with the lance batteries, too. It's a, it is an Imperial design of what is generally kind of a chaos tactic, which is to say use much longer-ranged firepower to weaken your opponent before they get close, and then the actual knife fighting starts and stuff starts dying. Well, I mean, and that would be appropriate because the icon is from the, the Sons of Horus, right? The 15th mm -hmm. Legion, or the, sorry, the uh, 16th. 16th, yeah, thanks. I yeah, I believe Legion. it's 16th. Yeah, no, absolutely. 16th yeah. Legion. So, so, yeah, so that would actually, that would, that would make sense. Austin, and, any thoughts? Or, sorry, Steven? Yeah, the, uh, the other note about that being is that the Icon, like most battle cruisers at the time, battle cruisers and heavy cruisers, uh, is operating practically alone with only a small escort of these Havocs, um, which the Overlord was kind of intended to do when it was made. Uh, it was either a solo long-range bombardment vessel or it would hang out on patrol and just blow stuff up from afar and laugh. Yeah, no, I think I think Stephen pretty much covered it. My only note would be uh, that while battle cruisers and grand cruisers and heavy cruisers, well, battle cruisers and heavy cruisers sort of fulfill the same roles in their respective fleets in BFG, uh, the main difference between an imperial battle cruiser and an imperial just stock cruiser uh, is that the battle cruisers have heavier engines which doesn't make them go any faster, but what it does is it gives them uh, usually dorsal lances that are twice as long ranged as normal Imperial weaponry. Uh, again, because they're supposed to be kind of either squadron commander sort of ships uh, and you know a little bit further back of the line or independent raiders and need the long range stuff to you know, go brutalize a convoy somewhere, uh, or defense modders, which is exactly what Icon you know, does is just go murder things a quarter of its size. Fight fair fights are for suckers, especially so in the void. That they yeah. are. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so there's no indication that the icon has lances, right, of any kind. Um, it's never set as lances, no. So I think that's that's a good that's a good clue right there. And and then Austin mentioned defense monitors, which defense monitors are like near and dear to my heart. So so if I could just like take a like a pause here to to let you guys know, defense monitors are their system ships. So they, they, they're not warp capable. They don't have warp drives built into them. So in it, because they don't have warp drives built in, they, they can take up more space in terms of like gunnery decks and munitions holes. And so they just pack more of a punch, but they're really fucking slow. And the rules for um, systems monitors are in, actually they're in the base rule, I think. Um, they're back of the section. Yeah, they're into. back in there in planetary defenses. Planetary defenses, right? And and so the the description of the brazen bull and the guy's hurrah, which sort of Jason just kind of gave to us, um, is perfect. I mean, it's, it's so good. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I mean, Stephen, Austin, Jason, do you guys want to cover anything? Engagement, literally the opening scene of the Coronet Deeps. Um, are we in the Cyclops cluster, Jason? Uh, the very first engagement is in Gethsemane, but the second right. cluster is the first, like, full-blown system taken out. That's right. That's right. Gethsemane is the first system to, like, to, uh, to us and sort of the master's forces that are, you know, moving from Istvan three the atrocity, to Istvan V, the massacre. And they're moving, they're moving sort of to the galactic, the core region, right? The throne world moving in. And they're encountering sort of these imperial worlds as they go. And so the Cyclops cluster and, and Gessamine are the first to fall. Um, and it's, it's so good, guys. Uh, book four is just so packed with lore. Um, but we've got Stephen and Austin for a few more minutes. So... Uh, Stephen Austin, we get into uh, we get into Mazoa, we get into the Forge Worlds, and I'm going to go out to Jason here because I know this is near and dear to his heart, and so I'm going to let him take over the next few minutes of this section, um, and talk about this Mazoan defense, right? So uh, there's a very important part of this Mazoan defense. I'm going to hand it over to Jason now to talk about. All right, so Mazoa and Handek are the two really important Forge worlds of this entire story. A uh, teeny bit of background, kind of a recap. Uh, Pandex is not Pandara, which is where the Panda monks are from in World of Warcraft. Uh, that was a very important point for me starting out. However, it is also the less successful of the two Forge worlds. It's always kind of living as a shadow. But it's also uh, the one that ends up siding with Horus. Uh, they are given sort of like hitherto unknown and unexperienced uh, resources, and they can just finally get out there and flourish, and they immediately help Horus blockade their sister forge, uh, Mazoa. Now, uh, Regulus, the Erebus of the Mechanicum, shows up to both of these forge worlds, and he receives... Two very different greetings. Uh, Pandex 
welcomes them in. They immediately jump on board with Horus. Uh, Mazoa uh, meets Regulus's ship at the very edge of the system, and he's told he can only communicate with, essentially, uh, I think Pat described it as uh, two cups and a string, or the technological equivalent thereof. Uh, the simplest form of communication, so there's absolutely no chance he can transmit like uh, antagonistic viruses or malware or scrap code or anything. But uh, he's met by what is described as a Mazoan battle sphere, to which our immediate conjecture is, Austin, Steve, does Mazoa have access to Death Star technology? Bum, bum, bum. Knowing Mazoa, probably. Right. Shit. Uh, my my unfortunate answer is probably not, uh, just because when things are moon sized in uh, 40k, they tend to let you know about it. Um, my guess is that this is something imperially equivalent to like a crude sphere, um. And a little more high-tech. I, I mentioned this briefly to Dave as we were talking about this, uh, this segment. Uh, getting, because I, I read a lot of sci-fi that's not 40K. I know heresy of heresies. Um, but a sphere is actually one of the most efficient combat ship designs in space, as long as you can radiate heat from it. Because uh, what it does is... It puts all of your important parts, you know, your engineering, your bridge, in the direct center of all of your mass, which is good. Uh, you can kind of shoot all of your guns in as many directions as possible, which is also very good. Like, if you look at any other given ship in 40K or 30K, they've got broadsides and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And that's cool, and that's fancy, and to a certain extent, uh, in like Void Warfare, just realistically, that kind of works. But if you want your guns, if you want to be able to fire as many guns as possible in any given direction, which is important in space because the enemy can be anywhere and come at you from any direction, a sphere is definitely the way to go. So my guess is that the Mazoan battle sphere is something that being tech priests, uh, somebody, you know, just had the bright idea of, man, you know, it'd be great being able to fire all these guns in any direction. So when I'm turning around, I still have the same amount of guns to shoot at somebody from like the back is the front. Let's just make a big circle and strap macro cannons to it. Um, so yeah, I, the description of hulking kind of puts me in mind of those crude spheres, um, which are kind of the same basic idea. It's a big circle. It's got a bunch of guns on it. It's like battleship sized, not super maneuverable. But when you can fire in all directions, you don't have to be. Uh, and that goes double for, you know, kind of a like a system defense sort of vessel, you know, you're not having to go crazy because you know what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get at whatever planet you're defending. So from a size perspective, Austin, in my mind, when you started talking about how, you know, it would have been 
a bigger deal if it was actually the size of a moon. I'm thinking of like, you know, in uh, Battlefleet Gothic, orcs can have rocks, which are essentially just asteroids mm-hmm. with guns on them. I mean, I, I'm thinking maybe the size is equal to each other because like they're they don't actually really move on their own. They have to be around something. So yeah, um, it it probably is like you know a couple of miles in a circle. I mean, that's not unimpressive, even right. on imperial scales. Um, and obviously, unlike a rock, which is just an asteroid with orcs and guns on it, this is you know built from the ground up to be a fighting system of some sort. Hey, hey, Austin, so I just want to jump in here because they're, they're not really rules for something like this in Battlefleet Gothic or Battlefleet Actually, Heresy. Actually, there are. Oh, okay, Stephen, yeah, thank the, you. Yeah. The crew battleship that he's, uh, the crew battlesphere that he's referring to has rules in Armada. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just Does like- it, mm-hmm. um, so break it, break it down for us, Stephen, break it down. So is it, is it bigger than, like, an orbital defense, but smaller than a, um, like a phalanx or a, like, a blackstone fortress? It's definitely smaller than a large orbital defense installation, like the okay. phalanx or a blackstone. It's probably bigger than a cruiser, but smaller than a battleship. Yeah, they're they're on uh, battle battleship sized bases, right? Um, I cannot remember the stats for the life of me, but they're one of those. We've got a ton of hole points. We're kind of easy to hit because we're just a big fucking rock. Well, not a rock. They're actual like designed spaceships, um, but they're big. They kind of had the same movement characteristics as like a Space Hulk or an Orc Rock, where they're just sort of, you know, they drift rather than actually maneuver. Uh, so they're a little unwieldy, but they pack so much firepower. Okay. So much firepower. All right. So, Austin and Steven. So, if you guys were going to put this into play in, in, into a, a Battlefleet Gothic scenario, right? Rules as written, like, how would you build out? the Mezoan Battlesphere. Well, before we uh, go too crazy on that, I would like to put forth a much less interesting theory, and that's that the Battlesphere is a battle, there is a, um, a fleet formation. Um, the Sphere being a uh, relatively common battle fleet formation within the context of Void Warfare, uh, and certainly when that jerk Regulus shows up. They want to make sure that if he's doing something they don't want, they can catch him. So they envelop him. Oh, you're blowing my mind right now, dude. So, yeah. so, so what you're saying right now, and Stephen, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but what you're saying is like, this is not actually a Death Star. What you're saying is like a Battlesphere is a, like, it's like a legitimate nation of, of uh, Mechanicum spaceships. It's possible. Um, Certainly, the Mechanicum has a bunch of different classes of vessel that are mentioned that the Imperium just flat out does not have, and it's sprinkled about over a couple of books. Um, I was actually reading Book 5 recently, and there's a couple of mentions of Mechanicum vessels that have never shown up anywhere else and for any other reason. So I would like to think that if there was a super cool Doom ball that the Mechanicum had, that you would hear about it more frequently. But on the same hand, the Mechanicum frequently has just like 
singularly unique vessels that don't show up even in other Mechanicum fleets. So take that with a grain of salt, as always. Um, but it is entirely possible that the thing that meets Regulus in his dinky little craft is a whole just enveloping fleet of Mechanicum cruisers. See, now you got me thinking about like a swarm of bees yeah. almost, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean it doesn't have to be like that. If it helps um, you if it helps you if it helps you to um to visualize that, just imagine like one Mechanicum carrier vomiting out Vulturax. Just a swarm <laughs> of Vulturax to darken the sky. Yeah. I mean and and don't <laughs> think of a battlesphere in like a sci-fi void combat sort of thing is something a, a bunch of little things do, like a bunch of like fighters or bombers or whatever. Like englobement is just the 3D version of encircling your opponent, right? Like if you're fighting a land war, what's the best thing to do? Completely surround your enemy and just blow them to shit. In a void war, what's the best thing to do? Put your enemy in the middle of a globe that is your space fleet and blow them to pieces. Yeah. Now, the only thing that makes me question that maybe they would want to surround Regulus is the fact that they actually let Regulus go. After they declare him heretic and so forth, they let, well, him, they let him fly away. Well, I mean, he there, escapes. Look, man, I mean, there's one thing about going rogue, and then there's another thing about murdering, like, the ambassador to Mars, right? So, fair I enough, mean, fair enough. Yeah. But, um, uh... Yeah, no, that's, 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 I think that's some good food for thought on, uh, like the Mizoan Battlesphere, what it is. And we can come back to this. Um, <laughs> definitely come back to it and, and, and try to think about some rules and maybe how to put this into play if you guys want to have a Forge World Battlesphere in your Battlefleet topic. I, I will I'm point sure out, Steven's up to it. This is also a thing that you can actually do in Battlefleet Gothic. The fleet engagement, one of the formations you can pick is the sphere formation. It's because it's all the formation to do. More food for thought. No, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 interesting. Um I I think we're gonna go to the next segment, which is gonna introduce the Death Guard to the Coronet Deeps. And yeah, this is this is we're getting to the end of, of our, where we are. So this might be the last segment we we cover. Um, but it it is it introduces a whole new um, fleet. Basically, the entire Death Guard fleet gets introduced here, and there's some really interesting uh, there's some interesting stuff that gets introduced here. Uh, I'm gonna go out to Jason. Um, Jason actually already. Uh... Scoot it. Jason is out, so we will we'll cover it ourselves. We I feel like we can do this. Um, I have faith. I have faith. I have faith in the emperor. <laughs> um, I don't have faith in the emperor, but I have faith. So, so the Reaper of Worlds, um, which happens on page twenty-eight in book, four, um, we get into this. It, it says the Death Guard unleashes the Sun Dragons like in quotes, which is a deep-range cruiser squadron of the Armada Olmata. Uh, and it goes on to introduce a ton of different other 
ship types and names. And I'm just going to let Steven and all you guys just take it, take it away, man. Where are we right now? We are staring down the barrels of a Death Guard fleet, which is admittedly not a fun place to be. Um, but interestingly enough, I am pretty unfamiliar with a lot of the quote-unquote unorthodox vessel types that are listed. Um, I'm more familiar with the Death Guard's fleet tactics than I am with their actual fleet composition. Uh, Austin, do you happen to have any insight on this? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I totally thought we were doing this Sunday and hadn't got to looking at the individual fleet type or ship types in that fleet. Uh, but if you want to throw out some names, I can. Yeah, Dave, I can possibly feed us, get answers. Feed us, some, feed us some little bits to to for us to clasp onto. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and this could definitely be food. I mean, um, we can we can start with the fact that you you refer to the Sun Dragons, right, as a deep range cruiser patrol, correct? Yeah, I think the Sun Dragons were thought, um, and yeah. So it's it's highly likely that the Sun Dragons are probably comprised of a combination of at least one carrier vessel, maybe a Styx class, a Dictator, possibly even a big Exorcist Grand Cruiser, which are made for long, extended tours of duty out beyond the um, out beyond uh, resupply lines. It could also be just as likely that the Sun Dragons are smaller craft like dauntlesses light cruisers that are that are that's basically their job is to go out and and scout yeah uh unfortunately like the the deep patrol doesn't doesn't refer to the the class like the the type of cruisers that are out there uh it's more due to what tactics are they're supposedly running uh and remember all of these ships even Ships that are meant to, you know, operate within a fleet uh, as cruisers are supposed to be self-sufficient for a minimum of 10 years, right? So in the context of the heresy, which is only a few years long, you could have a deep patrol, quote unquote, of any damn ship you please, because you only expect them as, as traders, especially, to be operating in a location for six or eight months. So... So because because Jason left us, and, and that's okay. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys the deep lore here of the Reaper, right? And so this is the Death Guard unleashed. This is the Death Guard coming into the Cyclops cluster on the War Master's orders and just cleaning house. So the uh, the Seventeenth Legion, the Sun Dragons, deep range. Cruiser Squadron, the Armada Ultima, forces their way through the warp and reaches last call in an answer to their home station's distress. All right, so they break into this scene of total carnage. So this is a loyalist, deep-range cruiser squadron that's breaking into the, the, the void, right, out of the warp. And what they find is... In Lascal's high anchor, over a fifth of the world, some 40 ships of the line, more than 100 escorts, including three Retribution-class battleships. 
the scepter of iron, the Ozymandias, and the star tamer have been blasted to ruin. Some of the larger hulks are still bleeding fiery plasma from broken reactor cores and frozen air rent into lifeless hulls. So this is just utter devastation. And they're trying to figure out what is going on, right? And so we've got just a scene of total, total void warfare and no, um, like no cult. Um, and if you look, you know, if you listen back to the to the coronet deeps, this is really what it's all about, right? It's all about the war master cutting off systems, causing uh, worlds to go black, and and sort of the the confusion and the paranoia that goes with that. The uh, fifth columnist, and it's just this is perfect. But what we have is we do have some some callbacks to classes of battleship that we know, right? The retribution class battleship is a class of battleship that we know, uh, and we have rules for. Is that correct? That's right. And while they're looking at the while they're looking for the culprit here, um, we can we know that whatever it was that came through here. Spoiler alert: it's the Death Guard, and we'll get into this particular little bit later. I think. Um, whatever came through here, it was big. Because like you said, the Retribution is an existing battleship class, and it is a staple uh, ship of the line of Imperial fleets. It's a big girl. Its only job is to sit on the line of battle and just duke it out with other ships. And to bring down one is no small task for a fleet, even if you have another battleship, because again, this is what the Retribution is built for. But to destroy three of them, and in one battle, no less, you have to be rocking some serious firepower. Yeah, like, the only other time you hear of three Imperial battleships, not not even, like, Retributions, like gunboat brawlers, but battleships taken out, uh, it's not the Gothic Sector War, you know, the big, the big thousand-ship battles and that. Uh, you have to go all the way to the first tyrannic war uh to get a reference to more than three battleship imperial battleships going down in one fight and that's because an entire battle fleet kind of runs into the bud saw of a tyrannid high fleet all of it and has no idea what's going on Uh, and they still almost pull it out against an entire high fleet literally millions of ships uh, so yeah, they had themselves a bad day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I I think I think this paints the heresy and the picture that we wanted to paint it in, and that is in terms of void warfare. Like, there, there's there's nothing that comes close. I mean, Abaddon's, you know, thirteenth crusade, twelfth crusade. I mean, maybe because the sectors are on high alert and they're waiting for, it, but. You know, the heresy has just so much lore that is um, directed at void warfare and um, it's, it's so rich. Uh, we want to get into some more stuff, guys, but I think we're running short on time. And uh, we're going to circle back to this, I think, in future episodes. One thing I do want to get to um, before we sign off, and this will probably be the last thing. 
Um, cause I know Jason had to leave, but it is the Imperial dating system. And we're just going to keep coming back to this and back to this because I, I, I mean, I've been in this lore for a long time and I still can't wrap my fucking head around the Imperial dating system. Uh, but don't get you a historian to explain it. <laughs> hey, we're going to get us some expert guest. Lecturers. I've done know me some stuff about some Imperial dating. All right. All right. So, All right, so uh, and it, it's not, it's not hard. All right. Once you wrap your head around it, it's not a super complicated thing. Um, so everybody knows early when you see a date given, it's one of three things. You either get just straight, oh, it's M32. Uh, it's, you know, 248 M32, or you get a string of seven numbers doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense uh, and are more or less random except for the last three and the millennia, right? And sometimes there's some dots in there. Uh, it's not super complicated. So, obviously, M32, M41, whatever, that's your standard what millennium it is. Uh, and that's based off of current millennial time right that's you know this two that we're in right now so that's easy to wrap your head around uh the next is a little bit trickier uh well not a little bit trickier i take it back the next section uh the first three digits to the left of that is the year it is in the millennium uh from you know zero to 99 again fairly straightforward right uh, so this would be 018M02. All right, that's the year it is. Uh, the next thing is three, the next three digits are the year fraction. And this is what screws people up. Like, this is where we start getting into the esoteric weirdness. Uh, because it is pretty much purely for imperial records. They divide a year into a thousand equal parts. Which doesn't make any sense. Uh, to just like your average guy off the street here, because a day has, you know, there's only 365 of those in a year, in a year. Um, and that makes it what each, each actual like day on earth right now has like two and a half quote days in the Imperial dating system. Um, and like I said, this is purely for record keeping. Um, nobody really, uses it in day-to-day -day life they'll use you know whatever planet they're on uh or if they're in a battle fleet like moving around on starship they tend to keep it based off of the home port of whatever sector battle fleet it is um things like that so and i like I know today is like the 290th or 291st day of the year. You can do a little math to figure out what fraction of a thousand that is. Uh, I'm not because I'm lazy and you're big boys and girls. Hey, Austin, I wanted to ask one. Thing, mm -hmm. and be, so, I mean, like I'm, I'm getting there, right? Like I'm starting to figure out what the dating system is, but I have a question about astropathic ducks and astropathic beacons. So this is where that oh last, boy. or the, the very first number comes in, right? Okay. 
Okay. So, so this is the check number. Uh, and it goes from zero to nine. And that is all based on essentially the reliability of everything that comes after it. Right. So if it has a zero in front of it, that means it happened on Terra, literally on Earth. It can't get any more accurate than that. All right. So if you see something with a zero, you know, 438424M31, it happened on Terra. If there's a one in front of it, that means it occurred within the confines of the solar system, right? It happened on Mars or Saturn or the Oort cloud or something, something like that, right? Again, pretty straightforward once you know what it means. Then we get weird shit. The next couple of numbers are all contact-based. So, and most of them aren't used a whole lot, right? Uh, the most common one is four. But a two means that, so I'm, you know, I'm talking about a battle that happened, all right? And if there's a guy, you know, if, if the astropath next to me is in contact directly with somebody from Terra or the soul system while the thing I'm talking about is going on, that's a two. Um, if somebody is, con is in contact with somebody who's in contact with Terra or the soul system, so say, um, like me on my planet with my astropath, and my astropath is talking to another astropath who's simultaneously relaying him something he heard from Terra, that's a class three contact, right? Um, class four just means, hey, I was talking to somebody who's a two or a three. And that's the most standard type of imperial dating, um, at least in the 41st millennium and kind of after the heresy. Um, it seems in the heresy that four is also fairly common. Uh, and it makes sense, right? Like, not everybody is talking to home. But if you're giving your report, your report's going to somebody, you know, at Legion HQ. There's a guy at Legion HQ that's talking to somebody, you know, on Terra or in the Soul System, you know, coordinating the defense or the disposition of the Great Crusade or whatever. No, um, you, you just totally blew my mind. Like you, you. Yeah, you that's new information blew my mind and i'm sure you blew like our listeners mind like i've been looking at these numbers for years and years welcome that... to esoteric shit <laughs> welcome there to is so you know how i know this that... because in the third edition rule book it talks about the imperial dating system that's how i know i was gonna ask you where did you get of this course. information from yeah so what um, you're saying is is that the the check number the the higher that number is the more no. likely it is that all the numbers after it is complete nonsense. Yeah. So, so let me let me finish up here because it's like five and six are doesn't happen a lot. Five means you're in contact with a four source. Six means you're in contact with five source. Um, and they just don't happen a lot because it's just not that common. You know, you're either talking to somebody who held deity uh, in the Imperium of Mankind. You know what I mean? Um, so then there's three others. There's a seven, eight, and nine. A uh, seven 
is also a fairly common one. Uh, it means that the event in question occurred within about 10 years of the date listed after the number. So if it's, you know, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, M31, it happened within 10 years of that either way. All right. We're not sure, you know, we weren't in contact with anybody from Terra at the time. The warp is a fickle bitch. Who knows? You know, all of our, all of our uh, calendars got lost in fire, whatever. Uh, class 8 is the exact same thing, except within 20 years. So just even more kind of uncertain. Um, and then Class 9 is special. And that's just sort of uh, the Imperial equivalent of going, eh? Yeah. Um, Bouncing and, around in the warp for a thousand years. And honestly, that, that's what it's normally used for. If you're in the warp and you don't have like direct contact with Terra or the Soul System, it's probably going to be a nine. Wow. Like if, if, you're, if you're a captain, right, it's like keeping the ship's log. This is day five in warp. And it's, you know, 238006 and 31. There's going to be a nine in front of that. Because you could pop out yesterday or 100 years from now. It's probably going to be three weeks like you planned on. But who the fuck knows? Um, that's also the one that you use you're on a planet that just straight doesn't use the imperial system of dating. Um, which seems like it would be a rare one, but... Uh, I guess, like, if you're a rogue trader or somebody who's actually, you know, talking to aliens instead of just murdering them, or, you know, <laughs> lost strands of humanity, you might use a nine uh, more often. But by, by far and away, the most common is four, which just means I'm talking to somebody who's talking to somebody who's sure of what day it is. Uh, zero or one on Terra in the solar system. Uh, seven and eight, now we're kind of sure what decade it is. And then nine is just, fuck it, we're in the warp. It could be yesterday. And that uh, has been informative. Consider yourself instructed. <laughs> yeah. Random bits of knowledge that now take up space in my yep. memory. Don't know how to do taxes, but damn, I couldn't relate the Imperial dating system. I was just telling Allie the other <laughs> right? day, like today on the way back from the gym, like, man, if I swapped out all of my 40k like knowledge and the money I've dumped into it to like mastering the stock market, I'd have so much fucking money. Dude, I don't uh, even want to talk but about the stock market right all now. on a podcast about toy soldiers. Yeah, but you're an internet celebrity, well, asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for uh, for coming on. Uh, don't worry, listeners, we're gonna have Stephen Austin back uh probably next episode just so we can we can deep dive a little more into these de into this oh, death guard i'm so fleet. ready for the death guard uh. fleet my whole life has led up to this moment <laughs> and who Steven knows is maybe austin man. will pull out how the imperials uh figure out if fruit is ripe you never know um actually i so, could go for a, a guest lecture on the imperial currency uh there we go. We might we might pull that out. I uh, I could give them. Um, Maybe that's what I'll do. Okay. Just the you random stuff. Do it. Well, uh Austin, Steve, thank you so much for uh for hanging out Thanks with for us. It's us. been fun. Thanks for having us. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, thank you, listeners, for for listening. Again, if you have any questions uh, about stuff we covered, if you didn't like it, if you did like it, just just leave us a comment or send us a uh, message on Facebook. Or really annoy Jesse by by don't tweeting. Don't it. use the Twitter. Um, Fuck. <laughs> Tweet <laughs> him. But uh, but uh, thanks again, guys, and and. And Dave, let, let's do our, our usual thing. Uh, uh, fuck off, Craig. Fuck off, Craig. <clears throat>